Welcome to Songcraft, Spotlight on Songwriters. I'm Paul Duncan. And I'm Scott B. Bomar. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Songcraft, please take a moment right now to subscribe to our show via Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also hear streaming episodes on Spotify. To receive a bi-weekly email with new episode announcements, sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com. You can also keep up with us via Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for one word, Songcraft Show. To find out more about how you can help support our mission while getting access to bonus content, exclusive contests, and other extras, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow. You're listening to 10 Feet Tall by Afrojack, featuring our guest on this episode of Songcraft, Rabel. The Los Angeles-based songwriter who has written with and for artists such as Pink, Kesha, Adam Lambert, Catherine McPhee, and Backstreet Boys, while establishing his own celebrated artist career, will join us later to talk about his life and art. Part one. Scott, you know what the best thing is about this podcast? Me? You know what the second best thing is about this podcast? What? No commercial breaks. Yep. We get the commercial out of the way right at the top. I like the commercial. No, no, the commercial's great, but imagine if you're watching a TV show and they just said, hey, we're going to start off with a few commercials and then you can watch the show unbroken. I would like that a lot. Wouldn't that be great? That would be perfect. That's how we do it. Yeah, that's how we do it. So we are starting right now with what is very clearly, and I'll say it outright, this is a commercial. It is. It's a commercial for something that I believe in a lot. Yep. It's called Pearl Snap Studios. And uh, you may have heard about it before if you're a listener to Songcraft, a frequent listener. Pearl Snap Studios is the location for you to send in the songs that you've written and have them turned into quality, pitchable demos. What genre? Any genre. That's really? what's so crazy about this. Any genre. Man. In fact, I kind of invite you guys to stump Pearl Snap. Stump Justin and the folks at Pearl Snap Studios. Send something in and say, hey, I, this is meant to be uh, Southern Georgia uh, Bar Mitzvah rap. <laughs> And see what he can do with it. I mean, and that is a regional thing. Look right. it up. This is kind of a uh, a Zydeco death metal blues kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have a feeling he could do it. First of all, if you can write it, if you can write that song that's appropriate for that genre, test them out. If you can dream it, they can do it. If you can dream it, they can do it. <laughs> um, it's as easy as going to pearlsnapstudios.com, seeing what they've got to offer and turning your song in. And uh, based on previous experience, I-, I can let you know that if you tell them you're a friend of Songcraft, you're going to get treated well. You'll get the hookup. You'll get the deal. Yep. So, uh, and, and just tell them thanks for this episode because they brought it to you. And uh, while we're on the topic of a little housekeeping before we jump into the main episode here, uh, we've been doing a contest. Um, we had Marty Stewart on the show a few episodes back, and Marty has recently released a book called The Pilgrim, A Wall-to-Wall Odyssey that is frankly kind of hard to describe. It is a book about an album that he did called The Pilgrim, but it's really a book about his entire musical journey. It's full of some of Marty's original photography as well as a bunch of other uh, photographers. It's about that album. It's about how that album influenced country music that came after it. It's a fantastic book. And, uh, it's about so Pilgrim's Progress. It's, a, it's, it's the Pilgrim's Progress of country music. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we have had more response to this contest than any contest we've ever done. Um, and we're going to go ahead and extend it one more episode. Mm. Um, so we're going to announce on the next episode the winner. That means that you've got a chance to still squeak in and uh, get your name uh, in the pot there to potentially be drawn as the winner. Um, and if you don't enter, I don't want you walking around whining about how you never win anything. You yeah. Know, I, I, know, I, know, I know you guys. I know how you are. 
Yeah, and you can just go get it on Amazon. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Just enter the contest. <laughs> so uh, so go to our website, songcraftshow.com, hit contact, and send us a message that says Marty Stewart contest, and you will be entered, and we will announce the winner on the next episode, just in time for the holidays, uh, which will be very nice. Um, and uh, yeah, so speaking of the holidays, Paul, what do you what do you, what do you got on tap? What's coming up for you in this this season? Lots of family, lots of rest, and I'm going to try to gain about seven or eight pounds. Nice. You're going yeah. to Europe soon, right? Yeah, doing that. Yeah. Um, not for any kind of work, just doing family stuff. Cool. And probably going to gain five of the pounds there. That's I'm great. Thinking. I'm going to Virginia. You will probably gain twelve pounds. I will. It's no. It's no Europe, but you know, you're fancier than I am. We like to call it the Europe of the East. <laughs> America's Europe, yeah, Virginia. It, it kind of was America's yeah, first Europe. It kind of started you know, there, yeah, right? They came over. Yeah. Um. So, uh, you know, we we have uh, a holiday episode that'll be coming soon. Yeah. Um. But now we have this episode today with Rabel, mm-hmm. who uh, he's an artist that I actually had spent some time with before. Uh, uh, listeners, you may remember Jamie Floyd uh, from a previous episode, and she introduced me to Rabel, and we got together for a writing session, I, I don't remember how many years ago. Right, more um, than you care to admit. Yeah, more years than I care to admit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been a part of more years than I care to admit. Um, but it was fun to sit down and talk to him, and you know, wh- one of the things about uh, several of the songs that he's had that have kind of made it out into prominence have been that he sort of showed up as the featured artist on right. these songs. You know, there was a 10 Feet Tall, the Afrojack song featuring Rabel. Right. Um, Pink, 90 Days, featuring Rabel. Yeah. Um, which is, it, it happens a lot in music nowadays. Yeah. But it's it's funny. I, I feel like feature culture, uh-huh. if I can call it that, right. has been around for a while. I mean, I remember growing up on, on records, some of them uncredited, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I remember listening to uh, Money for Nothing by Dire Straits. Right. And you hear that, I want my MTV refrain. Right. right. And I'm like, I know that voice. Yeah. It's Sting. Yeah. It, but it didn't say like featuring Sting, if, right. if I remember correctly. Yeah, I don't think it did either. And even going all the way back to the Beatles' White Album, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, Eric Clapton played on that, but it didn't mention it on the album, which seems like a kind of a missed marketing opportunity. <laughs> well, and I think if you're <laughs> Eric Clapton, you might have wanted to be like, hey, can you let people know that I'm playing on this Beatles song? <laughs> right. I mean, it's kind of a big record. Right. Yeah, I mean, you see the phenomenon, you know, like in rock music yeah. with like, Queen and David Bowie under pressure. You oh, know, you've got like one. the collaborative thing. You got, you know, Tom Petty and Stevie Nicks. Stop dragging my heart around. But the number of songs that feature other artists today is like exponentially higher yeah. than than it was in the seventies, eighties, nineties. It's a very collaborative music business. Yeah, nowadays. and uh, you know, I think it kind of comes from like it emerged from hip hop because hip hop is all about the collaboration. Yeah. It's all about the featured artist, and hip hop has influenced pop music so much. I actually, uh, because I'm a nerd, uh, <laughs> <laughs> found a study that said that in 1996, about 20 songs on the Hot 100. Um, Throughout the entire year, not just any snapshot of the Hot 100, but if you surveyed the Hot 100 all year long in 1996, there were about 20 songs that appeared um, that were featured or, or you know, yeah. collaborations. Um, in 2017, there were 150. Wow. So, like, the number of features in recent years has, like, really exploded. And, and that's why you have Maroon 5, you know, having hit singles with Cardi B. Like right. Artists that kind of don't necessarily logically have a lot to do with each other necessarily. Um, Can I just tell you that nothing fires me up in a conversation about music like finding a study? Yeah, that's what it's about, right? <laughs> yeah, man. So. 
like, is there a pie graph attached to this? Or? Well, here's what is. Here's here's some here's some. I'm gonna lay some data on you, Paul. Dude, data so, data is my second favorite <laughs> word. Data shows that if you have a song with a featured artist, you are more likely to be in the top 10 on the billboard than if you don't have a featured artist. Well, does that just make sense that you're like, you're calling them from two different audiences? Yeah, you're doubling so, your chances. But see, in the instance, like these Rabel songs, you got someone like Pink, who is an established name, right. featuring an artist that people may not have heard of. You know, right. and this is what happened with Sam Smith with the song uh, Latch from Disclosure. And it was like featuring Sam Smith. And everybody's like, well, who's that? Right. Well, now we know. Yeah. And it's kind of like, well, who's Disclosure? <laughs> um, right. it, so it's it's interesting how that works out. It I, it seems to represent you know maybe on in, in Pink's case like a lack of ego on her part to right. say hey, this guy wrote this song it's amazing yeah and I want him to be a part of it and I'm gonna let you know who he is right right yeah it's like doing a solid if you are if you respect a certain producer or writer who also performs and you are an artist it's a chance to shine the spotlight on that person even when you know I remember when we uh, interviewed Talib Kweli who was our, our represents the uh, entirety of our hip hop yeah. uh, songwriter interviews here, which is unfortunate. Working on that. We need more, not for lack of trying. We, I'll be, I'll be honest. We, we've gotten some no's. Um, Hashtag songcraft but, so uh, white. <laughs> <laughs> but we, um, you know, we're talking to him and he was kind of one of the guys who championed Kanye West yeah. uh, at the beginning, you know, and there is a lot to be said in, in the music industry for an established artist kind of legitimating you letting you into into their world and yeah. it's kind of telling all their fans like hey this person's cool you should check them out well and i think you know in in this case it only shines a positive light on on someone like pink because rabel's amazing and that song 90 days is incredible um so the fact that she associated herself with such a beautiful melody and a beautiful song it's like it's kind of a win-win for everybody yeah it's a win-win and i think another example of that is you know uh a, a guy like Mark Ronson, who features yeah. a, an unknown fella named Bruno Mars. Just Actually, a kid. I think Just Bruno Mars was already a huge <laughs> yeah. star. But, but people Hard forget. Hard Scrabble kid <laughs> right. trying to make his way. People forget that Uptown Funk isn't actually a Bruno Mars record. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's Mark Ronson. Yeah, it's Mark Ronson's record. Featuring. Featuring Bruno Mars. Um, what a great record. I never oh, get tired of that. I know the rest Ronson's of the world's like, that's the last time I have you feature on my song. No one even <laughs> saying my name anymore, you know? Uh, I'm sure his bank account doesn't complain. That's uh, it's true. Um, well, should we get into this uh, Songcraft featuring Paul Duncan episode? <laughs> Let's do it. Part two. Singer-songwriter Ray Bull is best known for his hit, Eleven Blocks, and buzzworthy follow-up singles such as The Village. Signed to Island Def Jam Music, his first big break came when Dutch DJ Afrojack released a version of Rabel's Ten Feet Tall that became an international hit. Rabel garnered further attention thanks to his EDM collaborations including Ritual by Marshmallow and With You by Kygo. He collaborated on 90 Days with Pink, who later shone a national spotlight on Rabel when she spoke about his song The Village on the Ellen DeGeneres show in the spring of 2019. As a songwriter, Rabel has written Here Comes the Change and Woman for Kesha, Don't Go Breaking My Heart by the Backstreet Boys, Devotion by Ellie Goulding, Nirvana by Adam Lambert, Everybody Knows by Adina Menzel, as well as songs for Philip Phillips, Catherine McPhee, Pentatonix, Leah Michelle, Fitz in the Tantrums, Ben Platt, and others. He was a 2018 GLAAD Media Awards nominee and was named to Out Magazine's Out 100. In 2019, Billboard named Rabel their Pride Artist of the Month. Soon after, he was named One to Watch by People Magazine. 
Rabel, welcome to Songcraft. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. So you were born Stephen Rabel in New York, but you were kind of raised all over the place uh, due to your dad's job as a salesman. What was that experience like, and what kind of music was little Rabel listening to <laughs> during that time that, that shaped the songwriter you would become? You know so much about me. Did you get my whole background check? I oh, dude, we're all over um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Growing up, I was listening to a lot of... Um, my dad listened to a lot of Motown, um, and then my parents, or my mom, rather listen to a lot of like Frank Sinatra, Tony Bennett, that kind of stuff. Wow. Um, my uncle, I guess my great uncle, Uncle Carl, used to go in um, and record like to karaoke tracks, like a bunch of huh. jazz standards. So we used to listen to, like I have a, a hard drive that's just his recording, so it's like a couple wow. hundred songs. So we used to listen to that a, a lot. Um, but yeah, so kind of a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. I remember we had a Billy Ray Cyrus record in the car. <laughs> so Back you ran the game. Breaky Breaky Heart got a lot of spins. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting when you think about the idea of regionalism, which I don't know if regionalism is such a thing anymore because, you know, everything is kind of like chain clear restaurants channel, yeah. and, you know, clear channel radio and, totally. you know, but was there any degree toward the fact that, you know, you were moving around a lot as, as a kid? Was there any impact that um, kind of being in different places had on you as you were soaking up different musical influences? I think the biggest example of that I, I can remember very vividly is we lived in uh, Australia for like 10 months. Well, wow. uh, when I was in fourth grade, and I got um, like a Natalie Imbruglia and the, the Savage Garden record, because those wow. were both yeah. like the biggest records in Australia at the time, and then became all over the world. But I remember those defining like a year of my life of mm-hmm. just like diving into like Chicka Cherry Cola. Wow. <laughs> right, right. I actually have another friend who's very, very big into Savage Garden, and it was like pivotal to him. So. You're, you're yeah, the second, maybe the second conversation this week I've had about Savage Garden. Who'd have thought? Nice. <laughs> um, after high school, you attended Berkeley, but you, you didn't stay there for all that long. Um, was it not quite what you thought it would be, or just wasn't what you needed at the time? I think, that, I guess this is kind of like a cliche answer, but I'm just not good at school, really. <laughs> um, I don't, and like, this is no shade at all to Berkeley, but like waking up at 8, in the morning and going to like an R&B vocal lab <laughs> is just like not not dope for me and um, <laughs> I think I think I wanted I, I still I don't know how to read music I remember going into like my first set of finals there and knowing 100% that I'm gonna fail yeah it's a good feeling. like a conducting final and just being like I don't know how to conduct and I didn't <laughs> study at all and I have no idea how to do this and almost like laughing and kind of shrugging when I'm supposed to be conducting this thing, just being like, I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, I'm not good. My dad always tells me that the one thing I never do is something I don't want to, which makes me wow. seem like maybe a, a brat. But I think for like music school, I, I only wanted to do the stuff that I felt like was going to kind of give me the result that I wanted. And I think I just wanted to write songs. Yeah. Um, so when I'm going into like a sight singing lab, I'm like, I don't want to sight sing. Right. So I'm. Uh, so I didn't see the purpose necessarily. Um, 
so I left after a semester. Um, I actually have been back the past two summers uh, to work with the summer program there. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I love that. Yeah, which that that is, is like, I, you know, I, I have nothing against the school. I think it's an incredible school. It's so cool to go back and see the talent that's coming out of there. Well, and I love that in seeing that the school embraces sort of your your style of learning and your style of teaching as well. Even though it may not have seemed compatible at the time you were there, that, that they are able to embrace it now on the other side. Totally, totally. It, it doesn't seem like... I've never gotten the vibe that I'm like, how dare you leave? It kind of <laughs> right. feels like they're like, cool, like you came here and then you went and, you know, I feel still very much connected. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just so many alumni all over the place. Everywhere. Yeah. Well, you eventually kind of landed in Los Angeles. Um, talk about what brought you here to to L.A. Um, and in what ways you were kind of developing um, as a, as a writer and artist when you, when you first arrived here? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I moved out here. I was like 18, I think. Um, I crashed on my brother's floor for a couple of years. Um, I knew one songwriter, her name is Eve Nelson. Uh, she went to Berkeley actually. I got in touch with her while I was there and she was basically just like, move out here if you want to just do it. Um, which I told my parents I was going to transfer which was a big lie. Um, <laughs> but I, once I got out here, you know, I was writing songs with her and, and writing songs with kind of whoever would write songs with me and, and playing shows like, played a bunch of shows at Genghis Cohen's, like a little Chinese restaurant yeah, on yeah. Fairfax. Um, and just playing like, I remember playing random happy hours in the valley, like lugging my keyboard out there and, just kind of doing anything that I could. Um, and my first few years out here were were rough. I think I I didn't... I kind of thought that you just move out here and then, I don't know, you're like singing and Clive Davis walks in and it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, you're amazing. Right. And like, no. Like, he's... No offense, Genghis Cohen, but, you know, that's not that's really... Not what Clive was. How, <laughs> that's not... Clive's not there. Um... <laughs> But, you know, I, the first few years out here, I was really kind of, I guess I was just kind of scared mm. um, and didn't really know anybody and didn't quite know how to get into it. Um, mm. I was like, the first time I got sober was my 21st birthday, which is hysterical. Wow. Um, so that kind of explains what I was up to my first few years out here, I guess. <laughs> right. Um, just kind of trying to figure it out and trying to, trying to, you know, I think it's, LA is a place where you, you come from wherever you come from and, and you kind of can feel like the big fish in that pond. Yeah. And then you come here and then it's like, you're not, you're not even, you can't find the pond. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You're like fishy out of water flopping around like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> but all my friends in high school said I was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> you right. realize everybody else has that same story too. <laughs> right. Yeah, all those right, amazing people right. from all those high schools across the country all came here. Yeah, <laughs> totally, and all, all you know, a lot of, which is an incredible energy to to be around. I think once you kind of can get your head screwed on. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, you know, obviously some people were recognizing your talent because uh, Pulse Music signed you uh, as a writer and uh, would love to hear a bit about how that opportunity arose and also kind of where your head was at in terms of whether you were kind of writing for the market, you know, writing for, for other artists or, or, or thinking of yourself as the artist or, or kind of a combination as, as that was, you know, one of those first kind of steps into the, the music business, you know, proper, so to speak. Yeah, totally. Um, I met them, I was working with a writer called John Asher. Um, I was working with him a bunch and it was in the era where I was like writing three songs a day and like feeling so cool. Cause I'm going like session to session to session and like <laughs> living on like parliaments and red bulls. Um, right. when those, both those things were like really cute. Um, <laughs> And we, I was demoing a lot of the songs, and so he was turn, he was signed to Pulse, and so he would turn them in, and, and one day they, they hit me up. You know, they were kind of like, well, who's singing? Who is this? Um, so I went in to meet with them, and then uh, one of the guys at the company saw a, a YouTube video of me playing, and he was like, what is this? Like, you're an artist? And I was like, oh, yeah. You know, that's, yeah. Because uh, I'd been just writing you know, to a bunch of tracks and I don't know where, whatever, pretty much going on like MySpace and being like, yo, you got tracks. <laughs> um, and so I met with them and signed there. They managed me uh, for a bit and then signed publishing with them kind of with artistry in mind, you know, okay. like with trying to, trying to get all that together. That's always been the, the, the headline for me is, is my own, um, you know, creating my own my own stuff and sure. kind of trying to make my own world. Yeah. Um, but then writing kind of just started happening a little bit. Um, I think my first cut was a uh, Stan Walker, who uh, is an Australian. I think he won Australian Idol. Um, and I had a song with John Asher and and my one of my best friends, Drew Pearson. So a song called Loud. And that was, like, the first cut. And then I think the first cut in the States was, like, a Philip Phillips song on his first record. Um, so, you know, things kind of started happening a little yeah. bit. And I was just running around doing the whole thing of session, 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 session. And, oh, well, boy. <laughs> and, and, you know, always keeping that, that artist thing at the forefront. And you eventually did sign as an artist to Island Def Jam, and that led to a big break for you a song called 10 Feet Tall that was put out by Afrojack and you were featured on it and it became an international hit. I'm trying so hard not to let it show But you got me feeling like I'm stepping on buildings, cars and boats I swear I could touch the sky showed up in a Super Bowl commercial that got tons of attention. Tell us about that song and how all of that came about. Yeah, so that song, um, that happened through a session with uh, a, a man called Chris Braid, who I think is like one of the most magical people in the world. Um, I went in and we had a day, I think, uh, which this story happens quite a bit. Uh, we had a day booked with an artist and the artist couldn't make it. Like morning of, mm. we got the email. Um and it's just that that decision at that 
I think especially then, early on, I was I was very much like, yes, keep the session. Whereas now I'm like, I've been here 11 years. If anything, if someone tries to push a, push, push a session like 30 minutes, I'm like, I have to cancel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like old and jaded. Um, <laughs> but so I kept that, you know, I went in and, and I had just fallen in love right there, um, mm. kind of for the first time. Um, and I, I walked in to his, his place. He was up in Brentwood and he was playing this, that piano part, those really pretty chords. And I want to say we barely even like introduced ourselves. And I just was like, I had this idea about 10 feet tall, you know, of, of just like in my head, I imagined like, um, just kind of a cartoon world of like, when you feel like that, that, like pure joy and like elation um it almost feels like you're just like humongous like you're you're like walking down the street and you literally feel like you're maybe a hundred feet tall um but a hundred feet tall doesn't sing very well um (laughs) so we just kind of sat down and, and wrote that song and and both felt like it was really special but didn't quite know you know what what to do with it and and it just kind of sat around for a bit. And then I, I met with, uh, it was like Barry Weiss and Peter Thea and Karen Kwok at, um, they were all with Universal and with Island Def Jam. And that was one of the songs I played for them. Uh, and I forget the guy's name and I'm so bad at this. It was Afrojack's A&R. If you're listening, I'm so sorry. You changed my <laughs> life. <laughs> um, and he he played it for for Afrojack, and because and, he's about 10 feet tall, and that was like the joke. Like, <laughs> well, Nick is like 10 feet tall, so I'll play for him. And he heard it, and later on when we finally met, like f- way after it came out, <laughs> we'd never even met. <laughs> the first time we played, we played a show together was the first time we met, and, and he said that when he heard the demo, just the piano vocal, he heard it as the the kind of remix that he wow. did of it, hmm. which I thought was so cool. Well, it's nice in this day and age when people have those kind of ears to hear, you know, something outside totally. of a strip demo, because not everybody does. Oh, my gosh. Tell me about it. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, oh, I don't know. It's like, if you can't hear past this, the volume of the snare, then <laughs> exactly. maybe we need to pick a new job. <laughs> um, like, let's be creative. Uh, but it was it was just such a cool thing, and I was out in, by then, I you know I was signed with Island, and and I was out in the UK uh, making kind of what I thought was going to be my first record, um, and was getting like bounced like demos of it, and and going on YouTube and seeing that he's playing version, you know, he, that Nick was kind of trying out versions on. When I'm trying out a song, especially back then when I was trying out a song, I'm playing it in front of 15 people at, like, Rockwood (laughs) in New York. He's trying out a song in front of, like, 86,000 people at Tomorrowland or something. And I was just watching these videos, like, oh, my goodness, like, that's that's my song playing in front of all these people. Like, I I couldn't believe it. Um, That was just such a, a wild time. Yeah. The kind of perfect snapshot of that time of my life me was we played Fashion Rocks at Barclay Center, sold out Barclay Center uh, on like, I don't know what network, CBS, ABC, one of the networks, like primetime Saturday night spot, whatever. 
we do that, and then the next night I'm playing for, kind of like I said, like maybe 50 to 60 people at Rockwood. Wow. And I was like, this is the perfect snapshot. I'm never going to forget this, like, Saturday, <laughs> Sunday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, you, you continued to make a serious mark um, following that with a song called 11 Blocks. And, and a lot of people just flat out freaked out about that song. It showed up on your EP, We Could Be Beautiful. You know how I get when I'm alone, no, cause my mind won't stop, it's just I listen to a song like that and, and a lot of the stuff that you do as an artist and, and the stuff that other people cut and they don't sound to me like songs that are just imagined. I, I, they sound like they're born of experience, like there's some autobiographical yeah. stuff in there. I mean, is that is that the case? Oh, that song is like too real. <laughs> um, I remember the night that song came out, I was in New York and I took a walk around. I was uh, uh, like on... Um, 28th and Park or something, that little kind of flat iron-ish neighborhood has a lot of memories for me. Mm. And I remember walking around there and looking at it and seeing the map, like the map is a literal map from my ex's apartment to my apartment. Wow. <laughs> uh, I, I've since moved, he has since moved, it's all good. But I remember listening to it you know, at, at midnight or whatever when it popped up and calling my manager like, sweet, should I not have done this? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this too, it was just, I've always written from a true place. I've always written, I, especially when it's for me, but even a lot of the songs I've had cut, like, those songs are, are about are of me, kind of, you know? I, I just, yeah. I don't know how to write necessarily unless uh, it's from a real place. And, yeah. and so for that that song, it was just very... It was like naked in public. It was just a very weird feeling. Hmm. Well, yeah. I, I feel like you guys did the right thing by taking your social security number out of the bridge because I heard that that was <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, well, another song that got a lot of people talking was uh, "The Village," which deals with gender identity and kind of the political climate that we're in today. Something wrong in the village. And the song is a powerful song, um, but then you paired it with this really emotional uh, video. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of curious what role for you visual art, you know, especially in terms of pairing it with, with a film, uh, how does visual art interplay with your artistry as a, as a songwriter and, and musician? Yeah, I mean, you know, that song, um, I take zero credit for for that video uh the director dano like is so brilliant and has this whole vision and um 
and August Aiden, who's the, the primary star of it, um, was so brave. And uh, that I can't even watch that video without just cracking open completely. Um, I think videos in particular are really hard. Um, it's just hard to, it's out of my wheelhouse. So I always kind of end up feeling like I have zero control, <laughs> but I want to control it because I like to control everything. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, but I know that if I control it, it's going to be pretty shitty because I don't know how to do anything. Um, like visuals, like artwork, single artwork, I love to be so involved. A lot of, I mean, even with 11 blocks and, and the village too, like a lot of that stuff, I, I just draw these little things and, and that's kind of almost accidentally made its way into my artistry. Um, well, yeah, you've, you've actually had some art featured in an art gallery, if I'm not mistaken, the Landmark Street Art yeah, Gallery. Yeah, I did a, a, a kind of little limited run with, with Landmark and they're so nice and, and um, it was actually through one of my favorite artists is this guy called David Shrigley. I love, it's just like really smart and and a lot of times funny, but like in that sad, funny way. Like yeah. he just posted something, it was a padlock with a guy unlocking and it says, unlock your limited potential. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I want to buy that. <laughs> um, so I was actually buying one of his pieces from Land, from Landmark and, and got in touch with the owner and was kind of emailing back and forth. And it was like, two o'clock in the morning or something. And I was like, I had just a voice in my head was like, just send him some stuff. Yeah. And I was like, no, I don't know if it's good. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's do it. And I sent him some of the stuff I, that I, I've been making. And, and then like all of a sudden emails went totally cold and I was like, Oh my gosh, he hates it. <laughs> and then like maybe six days later he hits me back. I'm so sorry. I left for vacation, <laughs> <laughs> but we, you know, I love it. I'd love to do something. So, um, yeah, some of my it's been really cool to have some of my artwork um, folded into, you know, releasing songs and um, and now one of my best friends. I'm now doing I transitioned out of Epic like maybe nine, ten months ago, maybe a year, yeah. um, and made a, a little label called Big Gay Records, which makes me laugh every time I hear it. It's fantastic it. name. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. And uh, one of my best friends. Uh, named Yaz. She's been doing all the visuals and she made the Love to Love You and the Real Thing video with me and that's been really cool to just get to work with one of my best friends um, on the visual side, you know, where I... It's just nice to trust the person that you're... Because you make the song and then you're like, well, I don't know, you know. Yeah. I don't necessarily know what the picture should be and she's like, good, because I do. <laughs> and right, I'm like, oh, right. no, thank God. You know, Kesha has really been a big champion of your music and, and kind of let people know about your artistry through her artistry. Um, and then I think a lot of people probably heard your name for the first time when Pink talked about you on uh, Ellen's TV show. Um, and I know that you, um, you know, have worked with Pink, notably on, on the song 90 Days. If I'm just somebody that you're gonna leave And you don't feel something when you look at me You're holding my heart and what you say Just let me out slowly, I'll be okay If you're just so happy that I gotta break 
You know, as an artist, you can be kind of toiling away or, or writing or, or producing or whatever you're doing, but there is something that's very powerful about having, you know, a strong public voice kind of champion you in terms of bringing an awareness to uh, to more people. So um, if you kind of, you know, talk about working with Pink, but also just in the larger sense of, of how having these people kind of championing your work has, you know, made a difference in terms of the platform that you've been able to create. That song I wrote, that's another one that's just all too real. Um, I wrote that... Uh, kind of like the day before things in my personal life started shifting and, and um, I ended up getting together with, with, with who I, you know, the person I wrote that song about. Um, and that was another song that, that I wrote. I wrote it with Steve Robson and it was the day we met and it just kind of fell out of the sky. Um, and we wrote it and, and I knew it was really special. Um, but it just kind of sat around. Um, I was in, in kind of limbo with the label situation. I was at Epic, but kind of leaving um, and and hitting a bit of a stall. And, uh, and, oh boy, within the past year, like, I sat down with Keith Nathalie at RCA and, and played him a couple songs, and, and that was one of them. I for him, and he's like, will you play that one again? And I'm like, yeah, okay play it again and then play another song he goes will you play that that 90 days one again i'm like mm -hmm. okay play it again and then you know play him a couple of, oh let's go to the piano i'd love to play you some stuff it's not recorded yet play him a couple of things go back in the control room hey will you play me that 90 days song again? <laughs> i'm like oh okay uh, yep and um and he called me a few days later um and he's you know, he just told me that he sent it to Alicia and, and that she absolutely loved it wow. and wanted to sing it together. And um, I was floored. Uh, you know, I didn't really know what that... I'd, I've never really done a, a duet before, um, especially with someone like that. It just kind of blew my mind. And I, I got to go record it with her and, and work on it with her. And... and I didn't know, you know, I've had so many, we all have so many moments where you're like, oh, this is it, this is the big moment, or this is the, yeah. the whatever, and then some of the things don't work out. Um, there's been some, I remember calling my mom one time, actually it was a song Jamie and I wrote, and it got put on hold for Lady and Film, and, and I didn't know what that meant at all, I was like 19. I call my mom. I'm like, Mom, I'm going to be rich. Like, I'm going to buy you a house. I have a song on hold, Lady Antebellum. And then somebody's like, you know that Lady Antebellum puts like 1,400 songs on hold. <laughs> I did not know that. I need to call my mom. <laughs> Don't buy that house yet. And, They're the Rihanna of Yeah, country. totally. Like, right. I'm like, actually, can I borrow 1,200 bucks for my rent? Um, so, you know, you just don't know. don't know what what is 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 real and what's really going to happen and, and and what it all means um so i i recorded it with her and and cried uh with her quite literally and and then 
uh, it came out. And then I was just like, holy shit, like that, that really happened. Um, and, and then I'm, I was out on tour with Ben Platt, uh, and Ben Abraham and, and my manager came to San Francisco to, uh, to the show and, and we're talking and he's like, um, Alicia invited you on the European leg of the beautiful trauma tour. Wow. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we just got off that like a month ago. I was out for like a little over two months. That's incredible. Um, How's the catering on that tour? Yeah. And it, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> it's the pretty good, right? Food. The first night, it was like um, prime rib. Was one, they always had like a, I mean, I could talk for 20 minutes about this. So. <laughs> well, you, you, you can tell I want to get into the serious details here. <laughs> it was delicious. I made a joke like, oh, tomorrow night's going to be duck confit. And then we walked in and it was duck confit. So that, <laughs> that pretty much... You know, I, what I want to do now, I, I was looking through, you know, and listening to a cross section of your music and kind of doing a, a bit of a dive in the lyrics. Um, and it was interesting to me, you know, I go all the way back to 2012 with Nirvana uh, by Adam Lambert and I see themes of darkness. Yeah. I go to Devotion by Ellie Goulding and I see the word chaos. I come to Everybody Knows by Adina Menzel and I see brokenness. Emotional by Kesha, her uh, bonus track, which has got a, a really heavy story attached to it that I'd love to hear more about. But then yeah. Don't Go Breaking My Heart by the Backstreet Boys, Battered and Broken. You know, we talked about autobiography and we talked about personal experiences coming into these songs. And, you know, I, I don't want to necessarily go through everyone and be like, well, you know, what was upsetting you then? <laughs> but I, I do right. want to know, um, you know, are, you seem like you're able to really stay in touch um, with both the dark and the light because most of these songs then refer to some love that rescues you from that darkness or that chaos or that brokenness yeah. um, and it's it's really interesting to me how you seem to have your finger on the pulse of both sides and I wonder if um, if you if you had to choose between some experiences that obviously have been you know painful and formative in some ways but they've also kind of been able to, to turn around and give you this artistic expression if it had all been easier, would you have taken that path, or do you appreciate the experiences that have brought these songs? I just got goosebumps. Thank you. That's so thoughtful. I really appreciate all <laughs> that. Um, I don't think I would. I My mom always tells me I run my life based on emotion and mm. based on feeling, and and I don't really know how to how to not do that. That's yeah. not. I mean, it sent me to rehab two times. I'm sober now hopefully for the last time god willing and you know that's something that even with like 90 days that that story is very much folded up in that yeah. um but i i feel like my favorite songs are the songs that say something that i didn't know how to say um or express a feeling that i'm feeling but i don't even know how to, the words to describe it somebody just sings it off and i'm like damn that's it like <laughs> right. that's that's what it is um, so, and it's something I think about often. Um, I think, oh, if my life took me this way, or if my relationship had gone this way, with, with this and with this. And, and sometimes I look at songs, and I'm, I'm like, even I wrote a song last week that I, that I really love, and I'm like, had every single moment leading up to this day not happened, this song wouldn't exist. Yeah. So if I was, you know, the first time I fell in love, I wrote 10 Feet Tall. It didn't work out. I wrote eleven blocks, like, huh. which ten, eleven. I made plenty of jokes about that, but 
you know, it's it's kind of. I I definitely I'm not. Um, I don't go fishing for songs in my life. Um, I don't I don't really try to stir stuff up, but um, but I definitely. I don't think I would have picked a different path or, um, you know, I mean, the most cliche version of this is without rain, there's no rainbow. But, yeah. you know, I think there's there's a real truth in that. And even, like, looking at the, the Kesha song, Emotional, that was the first song we ever wrote. That was the day we met. Wow. Um, and she's someone that that's inspired me so much and, and changed the way that I write songs. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I think... I guess I kind of think everything happens for a reason, and and I just always try to write the next song. You know, we we talked about this a little bit before we actually started, uh, you know, the interview process. But I, I had a chance to meet you several years ago uh, through our mutual friend and our previous Songcraft guest, Jamie Floyd. Um, and yeah. I, I always think it's interesting how writers have these tribes, you know, these kind of groups of of write or die friends and collaborators. And then yeah. those tight-knit groups will kind of intersect and overlap with other ones, you know, in kind of a six degrees of separation kind of way. But how important is totally. it for you as a writer and an artist to have a group of supportive peers around you? Oh, like 100 million percent important. I mean, <laughs> it's taken a long time to kind of find those people. Um, I don't really go to the stuff like the songwriter stuff i don't go to the parties i don't know i don't venture out too often um and it is just that kind of few people that are just so supportive and and we're excited for each other's success and and we you know just kind of it becomes such a cool little like you feel like you're superheroes with like your your own little comic book series or something like (laughs) um celebrating each other and like jamie is I met her. Oh my god! I was I was like drunk and straight when I met her. Um, <laughs> I've known her for so long, and she's she's like one of she's one of the most talented songwriters I've ever yeah, encountered in this amazing. entire world. The what she can do with words is like I don't know how she does it. Um, not once or twice, but like over and over. Yeah. Um, and even like with her uh, and Maddie Diaz, who's we formed this little thing called the three of us where we started just kind of putting out songs that we were writing that, that weren't getting cut. Um, and that's been really fun. And, and yeah, I think it's, I don't know. It's really important. I feel like without the people around me, I would go completely insane. Yeah. Well, you've recently put out a live album, uh, called one night only, and that's on your independent label, big gay records, which you mentioned before. Um, so yeah. I want to know, can we refer to you now as Rabel music business executive? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, if you want, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is, is there part of that that's kind of empowering? Yeah. I feel, I feel like the only girl in the world. I mean, <laughs> you know, the label system, I, I came out of it like bitter and jaded, but not like, I don't hate it. I don't hate record labels. I think that they're they're amazing like they've done amazing things for me um but i think the freedom of kind of being able to do whatever i want is just so incredible i keep making this joke and i i actually alluded to it earlier with the snare drum where i'm like we are not having conference calls about the snare drum on track six (laughs) 
the how small things can get yeah um just freaks me out and it, it can be such a killjoy and and something that feels like a that really should feel like a victory can feel like a failure hmm. um when you're in this system that's so much bigger than you um and you can have constant reminders of like well you almost did this or that yeah. was almost as good as this other person whereas now i just feel like every little victory is humongous because yeah. it's it's me and my managers and my collaborators and my best friend doing the visuals you know it's it's just it feels so comfortable and it feels so liberating and it, and it does feel really empowering to just be able to be like I made this song with my friend. I love it. Let's put it out yeah. in a month. Boom. Done. Let's yep. do the video. Okay. The video's done. Let's do a remix. Okay. Cool. I'll have my friend do it. Um, and it does feel really empowering uh, to be able to do that. Well, listen, we are certainly going to be keeping our eye on, on what's next for Rabel. Um, big fans of everything we've seen up to this point, And um, we're super happy that you took the time to speak with Songcraft today. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so please take a moment now to subscribe to Songcraft in your podcast app of choice and sign up for our email list at songcraftshow.com. As a reminder, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by searching for Songcraft Show, all one word. And don't forget to check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash songcraftshow to find out how you can help support us. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash songcraftshow. Thanks, as always, for listening and for your support. I'm clumsy, and my head's a mess, cause you got me growing taller every day.